Welcome to the Colonial Hills Podcast, a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church. Taking our Bibles this evening and turning, please, to the Gospel of John, chapter 6. John, chapter 6. This morning, we focused on the life of David. This evening, we're focusing on the Gospel of John, chapter 6. I understand that Mandy Funkhauser said to Keith this afternoon, she can't believe that Pastor Phelps would be a flip-flopper, but we flip-flopped the morning and the evening. And somehow we'll try to get through this together, all right? I think we'll, it'll make sense. John chapter 6. My wife leaned over to me this evening and she said, remember when Colin Elms used to cry every time his family got up to sing? <laughs> We're so thankful for Colin's ministry this evening and the fact that he did not cry. John chapter 6, beginning in verse 26. Jesus answered them and said, Verily, verily, I say unto you, You seek me, not because you saw the miracles, but because you did eat of the loaves and were filled. Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. For him hath God the Father sealed. Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And Jesus answered and said unto them, This is the work of God, that you believe on him whom he hath sent. They said therefore unto him, What sign showest thou then that we may see and believe thee? What doest thou work, or what dost thou work? Our fathers did eat manna in the desert, as it is written. He gave them bread from heaven to eat. Then Jesus said unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Moses gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you the true bread from heaven. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven and giveth life unto the world. Then said they unto him, Lord, evermore give us this bread. And Jesus said unto them, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. But I said unto you that ye also have seen me and believe not. All that the Father giveth me shall come to me, and him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. For I am come down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. And this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given to me, I should lose nothing. But I should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that every one which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Jews then murmured at him, because he said, I am the bread which came down from heaven. And they said, Is not this Jesus, the son of Joseph, whose father and mother we know? How is it then that he saith, I come down from heaven? Jesus therefore answered and said unto them, Murmur not among yourselves. No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw him, and I will raise him up at the last day. It is written in the prophets, and they shall be all taught of God. Every man therefore that hath heard and hath learned of the Father cometh unto me. Not that any man hath seen the Father, save he which is of God, he hath seen the Father. Verily, verily, I say unto you, he that believeth on me hath everlasting life. I am the bread of life. Your fathers did eat manna in the wilderness and are dead. This is the bread which cometh down from heaven, that a man may eat thereof and not die. I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. The bread that I will give is my flesh." which I will give for the life of the world. The Jews therefore strove among themselves, saying, How can we eat? How can this man rather give us his flesh to eat? 
And Jesus saith unto them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, except ye eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, ye have no life in you. Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. For my flesh is meat indeed, and my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him. As the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. This is that bread which has come down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. These things said he in the synagogue as he taught in Capernaum. Many, therefore, of his disciples, when they heard this, said, This is an hard saying. Who can hear it? And when Jesus knew in himself that his disciples murmured at it, he said, Doth this offend you? What, and if you shall see the Son of Man ascend up where he was before? It's the Spirit that quickeneth. The flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. Let's ask the Lord to bless as we look in his word. Father, for this passage we pray that you'd help us to understand and to stand in it with grace, by faith, to know the wonderful blessing of the mystical union that we have in Jesus Christ, that we become one with that one who alone is the head and we the body. And Lord, I pray that we'd honor you as we study your word this evening and as we remember the death and the burial and the resurrection, the body broken and the blood that was shed. For it's in Christ's name we pray. Amen. In case you are unaware, today is Super Bowl Sunday. Did you know that today is the second biggest eating day every year in America? According to what People say there will be 1.3 billion chicken wings consumed today. That's 166.25 million pounds of chicken wings, three for every American. Domino's business is supposed to be up 350% today. They expect to serve 11 million slices of pizza. 12.5 million pounds of popcorn will be consumed. 11.2 million pounds of potato chips. 104.9 million pounds of guacamole. You can't make this stuff up, folks. Cornell University says that the average American will consume over 6,000 calories today. And by the way, tomorrow, antacid sales, true, supposed to be up 20% tomorrow. People are going to be leaving their Super Bowl parties stuffed and they'll be hungry again tomorrow. C.S. Lewis observed, if I find in myself desires which nothing in this world can satisfy, the only logical explanation is that I was made for another world. Those who seek satisfaction in that which is physical will always hunger again. Isaiah 55 asks a question in verse 2, why do you spend money for that which is not bread and your wages? for that which does not satisfy. Only Jesus can satisfy the hunger of our souls. John chapter 6 is one of the greatest chapters in all of the Gospel of John. Two of the seven miracles that John weaves together to prove the deity of Christ are found in this chapter. Jesus in this chapter feeds the 5,000, and in this chapter, he stills the raging sea. 
And the first of the great I am statements, the seven I am statements that are woven together by John to prove the deity of Christ, the first of them is found here in this chapter. For in verse 48, Jesus says, I am the bread of life. Some teachers, it seems to me, can take simple concepts and make them complex. Jesus has the ability to take complex concepts and make them very simple. In John chapter 6, Jesus uses bread as a metaphor, as a type, as a picture to teach us some wonderful spiritual truths. Bread is without doubt one of the most universal of all foods. It seems everywhere, even if people are lacking in vegetables or fruits or certainly meat, people enjoy bread. In India, they enjoy their naan. For the Jewish population, they enjoy their matzah. For the Italians, there is the rolls. And for the Germans, my, how I love stolen. There are some wonderful breads in this world. And because bread is such a common commodity, Jesus uses something that everybody is familiar with to teach us some amazing spiritual lessons. When he says, I am the bread of life, he teaches some profound truths that we need to ponder carefully. I want us to take a bird's eye view of John chapter 6 this evening and then zero in on some themes tonight to encourage our hearts in the gospel in preparation for gathering at the Lord's table. In the first 14 verses of John chapter 6, the bread of life is pictured as Jesus feeds the 5,000. You recall how in verse 5 of John chapter 6, Jesus says to Philip, where can we find bread to feed this multitude? He wasn't looking for a grocery store. This, he said, verse 6 tells us, to test Philip. He's preparing the disciples to understand the truth that he's about to communicate, that he indeed is the bread that comes from heaven. You'll recall how a little lad comes forward and offers the Lord his lunch. Some people say this is the third miracle in John chapter 6. You have 5,000 fed, you have a storm at sea that's silenced, and the third miracle, a little boy gave up his lunch. A little boy gives up his lunch, and the Bible tells us that Jesus said to his disciples, have everyone sit down. Marvelous cooperation between God's divine plan and human participation. We can do nothing without him, and yet by his kindness, he allows us to participate in the dispensing of his grace. In verse 12 of John chapter 6, we discover that the whole group, the 5,000 men plus their families, they are all fed to the full. They've been, been satiated, if you will. And they gather up 12 baskets full. And the Bible tells us that these who had eaten their lunch there that day, their dinner actually, they immediately wanted to follow Jesus. They wanted to leave everything behind and begin to follow Jesus. Why? Well, after all, Moses had promised that another prophet would come like him, one like Moses in Deuteronomy chapter 18. Moses said, another prophet will rise up like unto me. Jesus had just distributed the bread to this huge congregation, and in their minds they're thinking, hey, when Moses led our nation, we didn't have to work for our food. It came in the form of manna day by day. Jesus says in verse 32 of John chapter 6, Moses indeed gave you not that bread from heaven, but my Father giveth you that true bread. 
Their thoughts were on Moses and on the manna. And there's a beautiful synergy, a picture, a parallel, if you will, between the manna that the children of Israel received and the bread of life that Jesus gives. Manna, after all, was white when it fell, representing righteousness throughout the Bible. Manna fell at night. It came when least expected, it would seem. It came in the darkness, and the light revealed its beauty. Manna was misunderstood. In fact, the word manna means, what is it? Jesus, too, was misunderstood. Manna was sweet to the taste of all those who benefited from it. Manna was to be shared with others. Manna was sufficient to meet all of their nutrition needs. And God gave just enough every day. And it was not to be hoarded. It was to be distributed and depended upon every day. And so indeed, manna is a type, a picture, a reminder of the life of Christ. So in the first 14 verses of John chapter 6, the bread of life is pictured. Then in verses 15 to 25, the people, all those who enjoyed that meal, are running after Jesus. They're chasing him literally around the sea. And beginning in verse 26 down through verse 51, we move from the bread of life, which is pictured to the bread of life being provided. Jesus begins to explain the portrait of himself as the bread of heaven, himself as the bread of life. He speaks in this passage of his preexistence. Look with me at verse 33. For the bread of God is he which cometh down from heaven. You'll see this phrase repeated in John chapter 6, cometh down from heaven. Verse 50, this is the bread which cometh down from heaven. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. Verse 58, this is the bread which came down from heaven. Since he came down from heaven, he must have first existed in heaven. He's speaking of his preexistence. John's gospel begins by stating the preexistence of Christ so that we understand his eternality. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. All things were created by him, and without him was not anything made that was made. And so it's well for us to sing, Thou didst leave thy throne and thy kingly crown when thou camest to earth for me. We serve a preexistent, eternal Savior. In this passage, Jesus not only speaks of his preexistence, he speaks specifically of his incarnation. His incarnation is indeed tied up in this phrase, the bread which came down from heaven. But his incarnation is further indicated by the fact that he speaks of the Father sending him. Look at verse 29. In verse 29, Jesus answered and said, This is the work of God that you believe on him whom he hath sent. Again in verse 38, For I am come down from heaven not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. In verse 39, And this is the Father's will which hath sent me. Again and again, beginning in verse 44, he says it again, No man can come to me except the Father which hath sent me draw. The presence of Jesus on earth is evidence of the plan of God being fulfilled through the wonderful work of the incarnation of the eternal Son. Our focus this evening will be on verses 52 and following. Our focus this evening is on the bread of life, the bread of life possessed. In verse 54, Jesus explains that receiving the bread of life is tantamount to being saved. 
I want to say that again. Receiving the bread of life is tantamount to being saved. Verse 54, Whoso eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. The Gospel of John chapter 6 is a wonderful, comprehensive outline of the doctrine of salvation. The doctrine of salvation called soteriology. You can look far and wide throughout the Bible and throughout the Gospels, and it's likely that you'll not find anything that parallels this passage in its grandeur of speaking of the joy and the blessing of our salvation. When we were last in John chapter 6, we discovered from this passage that salvation is a gift. Verse 27, Labor not for the meat which perisheth, but for that meat which endureth unto everlasting life, which the Son of Man shall give unto you. You can't work for your salvation. Salvation is a gift. We discovered that salvation is a gift that is given by faith. Verse 28, Then said they unto him, What shall we do that we might work the works of God? And he answered and said unto them, This is the work of God that you believe. Salvation is a gift that's received by faith. Salvation, you see, is the work of God. It's not by works of righteousness that we have done. But it's according to his mercy he saves us. Verse 37, all that the Father giveth me shall come to me. And him that cometh to me I will in no wise cast out. Salvation is a work of God. And those who are saved are eternally secure. Verse 39, and this is the Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me I should lose nothing. Those who are saved are eternally secure. And how are we saved? Well, we're saved by the substitutionary work of Christ. Verse 51, I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of the world. Salvation is a substitutionary work. We've looked at these themes in this passage, and we've discovered, especially joyfully, I trust, that salvation is offered to all. Verse 40, and this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him. None are left out. Salvation is offered to all. But this evening, I want us to see just a few more things about this glorious salvation that Jesus reveals in this text. I want us to notice together that salvation is a personal relationship with Christ. Salvation is a personal relationship with Christ. Let's read verse 51 again. And I am the living bread which came down from heaven. If any man eat of this bread, he shall live forever. And the bread that I will give is my flesh, which I will give for the life of this world. Why does Jesus employ the figure of eating? What is he speaking about when he speaks about the necessity of eating of his flesh? Did you know that the early church was actually accused of cannibalism? People who did not understand the mysteries that were taught by Christ actually accused his disciples of being cannibals. And what a repulsive thought, especially to the Jewish people. After all, the book of Leviticus chapter 3 had much to say, forbidding the eating of meat that was soaked in its blood. What is Jesus talking about when he speaks about eating his flesh? Well, Jesus is teaching here, mystically and wonderfully, but very clearly, He's teaching that salvation is something that is 
personally appropriated. When we eat, we appropriate, we take in, we make ours that which we ingest. When we eat, we receive nutrition, we digest. The nutrition is disseminated throughout our core and throughout our body. For some, it's better displayed than for others. But we appropriate that which we receive. Hunger, after all, is one of our deepest desires. It's something that's innate. It's a drive. When we are hungry, we desire to be fed. And even so, Jesus is saying, there's a spiritual hunger. That spiritual hunger can only be fulfilled through Christ. So in verse 53, he says, Verily, verily, I say to you, except you eat the flesh of the Son of Man and drink his blood, you have no life in you. So eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood, hath eternal life, and I will raise him up at the last day. My flesh is meat indeed, my blood is drink indeed. He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I in him, as the living Father has sent me, and I live by the Father. So he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Many great debates have occurred because of these verses. The Roman Catholic Church teaches a doctrine, big word, what they call transubstantiationism. They actually teach that when you receive the bread, that that bread has become the mystical body of Jesus and the physical body of Jesus is ingested. At every Mass, the priest always says to the people introducing the host, the bread, and placing it upon their tongues or in their hands, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, the body of Christ, teaching that in the Mass, the physical elements that are there become the actual body and blood of Christ. That's their explanation of this passage. The Mass done in Latin had a portion that said hocus pocus. Perhaps you used that little phrase when you were a child playing magic tricks. But hocus pocus in the Latin Mass was the very point in time when the priest was transubstantiation, making that which is physical into something else, into the body of Jesus. And so they teach that those who participate in the Mass are receiving a sacrament, some measure of grace, through that which they receive physically. Martin Luther said, that doesn't make sense. So he taught the Lutheran Church something called consubstantiation, that it doesn't change elemental form on the altar, but it changes within us and still ministers some kind of grace while we physically ingest some grace is received. We reject both of those. Not simply because it sounds cool to reject them, but we reject both of those on the basis of what's happening in this passage. Jesus says, I am the bread of life. This is the first of seven I am statements in this, in this gospel record. Jesus is going to say in John chapter 8, I am the light. Does that mean Jesus is now a lighthouse and we're to see him as a physical lighthouse? Jesus is going to say in John chapter 10, I am the door. Does that mean that he's mounted on hinges, that he's a literal door? Jesus is going to say in John 15, I am the vine. Does that mean he's a literal vine? No. We understand these things to be figurative. And so we understand in John chapter 6 that Jesus is speaking figuratively when he says that he is the bread. In fact, Jesus says in verse 63, for our explanation, it's the spirit that quickeneth, the flesh profiteth nothing. 
The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. He wants us to understand when he uses the picture of him being the bread, he wants us to understand the blessed union that the believer enjoys in Christ. He says in verse 56, He that eateth my flesh and drinketh my blood dwelleth in me, and I dwell in him. Salvation, you understand, is a very personal relationship with Jesus. Now, folks, listen carefully this evening. I don't want to get bogged down as we go, but this is very important. There are churches, Christian churches, who teach something called assumptive faith. They teach that the children of professing believers are assumed to be believers at the point of their infant baptism. Assumptive faith. Covenant theologian Mr. Hodge said, the children of all professing believers are to be baptized as members of the visible church as presumptive heirs. The children baptized, speaking of infants, as presumptive heirs of the blessings of the covenant of grace. The divinely appointed and guaranteed presumption is if the parents, then the children. And so when a baby is baptized as an infant, there's a presumptive faith that is being passed along, assuming that the children are heirs because they're under the covenant by the baptism that was placed upon them by their parents. Jesus is not teaching that here. Jesus is teaching personal faith. It's very personal. It's a personal relationship that's pictured. Just as we enter into a relationship with our food, so to speak, we enter a relationship with Christ spiritually as we enjoy that relationship with Him. The Bible teaches not assumptive faith, but personal faith. The Bible says in John 3 and verse 7, Jesus said, you must be born again. Acts 16.31 says, believe on the Lord Jesus Christ and thou shalt be saved. It doesn't say be baptized as an infant and thou shalt be saved. We had a dog that we purchased at a pound. It was a weak moment in my wife's life. She's not much of a dog lover, but she married one. We went to the pound, we got our dog, we brought the dog home. A day or two later, we got a phone call from the pound and the person operating the pound said, oh, by the way, we should have mentioned this to you. We think the dog that you purchased for $10 yesterday, we think it's with child. The dog had seven puppies. I told my wife, that's a pretty good deal, a buck and a quarter apiece. One little runt of the litter. And yes, we tried to work to keep that little runt alive, but there was nothing we could do and the little runt died. Do you realize that when it comes to your spiritual life, there is no feeding tube that anyone else can offer? There's no force feeding to get you into heaven. No relationship with parent, with pastor, no relationship with anyone else, no matter how spiritual and how beneficial that relationship will be, can get you to heaven. You have to have a personal relationship with Jesus Christ. That's why the Word of God says in Revelation 22 and verse 17, And the Spirit and the bride say, Come, and let him that heareth say, Come, and let him that is a thirst come, and whoever will, let him take of the water of life freely. And when you come, you'll be able to sing with understanding the song that blesses our souls, Christ 
liveth in me. Christ liveth in me. Oh, what a salvation this, that Christ liveth in me. Salvation is a personal relationship with Christ. And salvation satisfies the believer. Salvation satisfies the believer. How many there are who are so ever dissatisfied with the circumstances of their life. We're living in an age of increasing despair and increasing depression and increasing suicide. A 2020 survey of Americans found that there was greater dissatisfaction in the American populace than ever has been in the last 50 years of surveying. But look what Jesus says in verse 39 of John chapter 6. He says, I am the bread of life. He that cometh to me shall never hunger. He that believeth on me shall never thirst. Jesus is simply saying, there's nothing else that can satisfy the human heart. No philosophy. No religion. No pleasure. No possession. No other relationship can so satisfy the human heart. People seek satisfaction through personal attainment and they come up short. The world, after all, is passing away in the lust thereof. When I was in high school, my father was on the radio in the city in which he pastored. The fellow who was the radio announcer from our church had a beautiful West Virginia drawl. And he would always introduce the program by saying this, folks, we hope that you'll find that only Jesus saves and keeps and satisfies. I loved it when he said satisfies. Because it's true. Only Jesus satisfies. The songwriter said, feeding on the husk around me till my strength was almost gone. Longed my soul for something better, only still to hunger on. Well of water ever springing, bread of life so rich and free. Untold wealth that never faileth, my Redeemer is to me. And then the chorus, hallelujah, I have found him whom my soul so long has craved, Jesus satisfies my longings. Through his life, I now am saved. Yes, there are times when Christians find themselves wandering away, eating of the husk of the world, but how good to know that Jesus is yet available and he satisfies. When Jesus speaks of himself as being the bread of life, he's talking about a personal relationship that satisfies the believer. And he's telling us in this passage that salvation, listen, salvation culminates in glorification. Look at verse 39 again. And this is the Father's will which has sent me, that of all which he's given to me, I should lose nothing, but should raise it up again at the last day. And this is the will of him that sent me, that everyone which seeth the Son and believeth on him may have everlasting life, and I will raise him up at the last day. When the resurrection is tied so beautifully to the doctrine of our salvation, it's done so purposefully to help us to understand and ponder that wonderful day of glorification when at last we're free of sin, when at last we're made to be like Him. Daniel chapter 12 says it this way, And many of them that sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life and some to shame and everlasting contempt. And they that be wise shall shine as the brightness of the firmament, and they that turn many to righteousness as the stars forevermore. When Jesus speaks of himself being the bread of life, he speaks of salvation culminating in our glorification. 
John Newton, the author of Amazing Grace, understood the concept well. Newton said, I am not what I ought to be. I am not what I want to be. But I'm not what I hope to be in another world. But I'm still not what I once used to be. And by the grace of God, I am what I am. One final thought in this passage, and that's this. Salvation ensures life in God's presence forevermore. Salvation ensures life in God's presence forevermore. Verse 57, And as the living Father hath sent me, and I live by the Father, so he that eateth me, even he shall live by me. Then verse 58, This is the bread which came down from heaven, not as your fathers did eat manna and are dead. They ate the physical manna and they died. He that eateth of this bread shall live forever. Now he's speaking of more than a conscious existence somewhere. He's speaking of life in heaven. Folks, there's an old adage, and it's biblically true. The old adage says, you are what you eat. That's biblically true. On this Super Bowl Sunday, many people will be feasting, and then they'll desire for more tomorrow. But those who taste and see that the Lord is good come to understand that there's a spiritual satisfaction in Christ that the world can never know. Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me shall not hunger. Whoever believes in me will not thirst. The 107th Psalm says in verse 9, for he satisfies the longing soul and the hungry soul he fills with good things. The 22nd Psalm says, the afflicted shall eat and be satisfied. Those who seek him shall praise the Lord. The psalmist says in Psalm 16 and verse 11, In your presence there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand there are pleasures forevermore. Herman Bovank once wrote, God, God alone, is man's highest good. God is the source and sustainer of all good. He alone is the abundant fountain of all that is good. This podcast has been a ministry of Colonial Hills Baptist Church, a church home for all people. If what you've heard has been an encouragement to you, please subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, or Google Podcasts. If you'd like to connect with Colonial or find more resources, you can find us online at colonialindy.org or check us out on Facebook. Thanks for joining us today, and we hope to see you next time on the Colonial Hills Podcast.